BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. As we approach the one-year anniversary of the COVID-19 shutdown, museums throughout California are more than a little eager to reopen. More than 30 legislators agree. They wrote to Governor Gavin Newsom this week, urging him to allow museums to reopen at reduced capacity. The pandemic is costing museums millions of dollars in lost revenue, and all of us lose the value they contribute to our communities including a respite from what's happening around us. We'll talk with museum directors about how they're coping and adapting in the pandemic. That's all ahead on Forum, right after this news. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Scott Schaefer. And as you may have heard, longtime forum host Michael Krasny has retired. Mina Kim has been named the permanent host of the statewide 10 to 11 a.m. hour. And eventually we'll find a permanent new host for the 9 o'clock. But for now, we'll be bringing you lots of different voices and perspectives in this first hour, as we're about to do right now, as we examine the pandemic's impact on museums. Unlike most other states, California's COVID restrictions have kept visitors away from museums, at least inside, which of course is where most of the art and exhibits are. More than 30 legislators sent Governor Gavin Newsom a letter this week urging him to allow museums to reopen with limited numbers of people, of course. We're going to hear from a few museum directors this hour. Joining me, Thomas Campbell, director and CEO of the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, which oversees the DeYoung Museum and the Legion of Honor. Tom Campbell, welcome and thanks for joining us. And also with us, Lori Fogarty, Executive Director of the Oakland Museum of California, and Minetta White. She's Executive Director of the Museum of the African Diaspora, or MOAD. Welcome to all of you. Good morning, Scott. Thanks for having us. You bet. Good Good morning. And I want to begin by just asking you all, and I'll start with you, Minetta, uh, just to describe, if you would, what has the impact of of these closures had on your institution? Minetta? Sure. Um, well, of course, we're closed, uh, so no one is able to uh, enjoy the museum personally uh, inside our space. Um, it has also affected um, our staff capacity, where we've um, had to lay off um, 50% of our staff, um, as well as um, uh, remind us that we have to think differently on how to um, reach our, our members um, in the museum through to keep, uh, keep remind program. them that you're still there right yes exactly 
And you've been doing that, I know, uh, online, for example. Uh, I was looking at the website. I mean, there is a lot going on virtually. Yes, um, since COVID, um, uh, which, of course, there's always the silver lining of of, of uh, things that go wrong. You try to make the best out of it. And um, we have pivoted very well to online programming. And since COVID has uh, put on over 150 online programs, uh, which for us has been great because we're now reaching um, a different um uh, you know, visitor that would, would that would come to Moad. I mean, we've had over 220,000 views uh, with our programs, and that's been reaching from uh, Europe to Africa to even, you know, here in the East Coast and uh, in the United States. So um, that's been really great to have that exposure for Moad. Tom Campbell, what about you? What about the De Young and the Legion of Honor? Um, well, as with Moneta, you know, it's obviously long, long-term closure is very challenging in terms both of, you know, maintaining staff morale and focus, and also maintaining engagement with, with our visitors and our supporters. Um, but like Moneta, we've been doing a lot of uh, virtual outreach and you know, sort of weekly newsletters. Um, we did our online virtual tour of our Frida Kahlo exhibition, which has been viewed by more than 100,000 people. And, you know, it's really, it's been a period of experimentation for us. Unlike Moneta uh, and Laurie, we also did have, we were lucky to be able to open for two months back in um, October and November. And we were able then to share uh, an exhibition we'd organized with local artists a kind of an open invitational exhibition. So that was also a great morale boost. Yeah. So yeah. I think all, all in all, it's been a challenging time, but also a time of experimentation. And Laurie, what about you with the Oakland Museum of California? Is uh, I mean, obviously, there's a, the bottom line has to take a huge hit. Um, what are the ripple effects of that? Yeah, I, I'm just listening to my colleagues, and it, it, is been, it has been such a tough time for museums. I think there is the financial aspect. I, you know, essentially, we have generated no earned revenue for close to a year. We have been very fortunate and are very grateful that many of our members and supporters have stuck by the museum and have sustained us during this period, but no earned revenue for close to a year. And I think the other big piece is we are, you know, we are institutions about people, and we are gathering places for our community. And I think what breaks our heart the most, at least for me, is just not being able to provide a safe space for gathering and for interaction and for inter inspiration at this time, which is what I think people look to us for and what they need most right now. Tom, what are you hearing from uh, museum directors in other states? Because my impression is that California is the only state that uh, museums are completely sort of off limits right now for people. Yes. I mean, I'm, you know, like Laurie and Manetta, I'm in regular contact with peers across the country. And what we've seen is uh, basically most cities, most states allowing their museums to reopen, even though they're COVID numbers in some cases are, you know, really quite challenging. So museums are open in, in New York, in Chicago, in Boston. And what, you know, all of the, the experience of the last months has been that with their large open spaces, you know, museums are low touch and relatively safe environments if people 
follow the you know the 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 the, the, the careful practices. So it's frustrating, quite mm. frankly, yeah. that we are still waiting. And, and Laurie, how have you, uh, you mentioned, of course, that uh, uh, state the obvious, in a way, museums are a place where people gather and they uh, come together to uh, meet perhaps artists and talk about, uh, you know, what the art means and the inspiration for exhibits and so on. Um, what are you hearing from other, you know, fellow directors in other states or parts of California? It sounds like L.A. has really been hit very hard as well. Yes. Um, well, as Tom was saying, we are hearing from colleagues across the country that they have been able to open and open safely, certainly with reduced numbers and with you know, stringent protocols. But we are hearing that, that they've also been receiving incredible community outpouring and that their staffs are uh, enjoying being back on site and interacting with visitors and visitors are thrilled to be back in the spaces. So we are hearing that from colleagues across the country. It's true that the Los Angeles museums uh, didn't have a chance to open at all. As Tom was saying, the, the museums in San Francisco were open for a few weeks. We had actually announced our opening. Alameda County has been consistently kind of one tier behind San Francisco in terms of openings and, and the tier levels. Uh, so we hadn't opened in October. We were preparing to open in the middle of November, had actually just announced our reopening and a day or two later uh, went back into the purple tier and the full closure. Los Angeles has not been open at all. So we are certainly hearing from our colleagues there that, that they're really struggling as well. Moneta, the uh, Museum of the African Diaspora is affiliated with the Smithsonian. Does that help at all in terms of resources or ideas or just, you know, just uh, moral support, if nothing else? Uh, yes, actually it does. Um, we've been able to share um, programming with the Smithsonian. Uh, we uh, recently um, did a program, um, the Green Book, with them. And so that's been very helpful um, as well. And then, of course, they do share resources and support in the sense of um, ideas and you know operational uh, procedures during this period. So that's been very helpful. And Tom, you mentioned that the De Young was open. I was actually uh, went to that exhibit of local Bay Area artists. I uh, can't even remember now. Time is so weird in this pandemic, but I know it was a few months ago. And, uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. It was, I, I did not feel at all unsafe. I mean, it was very, I mean, those muse your museum is huge, and as a lot of museums are with very high ceilings and, uh, you know, good temperature controls and other, uh, you know, air controls, I would imagine. What impact, that was an unusual exhibit, though, was it not, uh, in that you invited Bay Area artists to be part of the exhibit and the pieces were for sale? Yeah, it was um, it was quite an innovation for us. We we'd been thinking about how we could celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Diang, and we'd been thinking about doing an open invitational. But it was only when the pandemic hit, and we were suddenly thinking, "My God, what are we going to do? How can we help the community?" That it it all gelled, and we put it together incredibly quickly. Um, the idea was conceived in late March last year. We put out a call in April. We had an open judging, online judging session in June. And we were expecting a few hundred submissions. And in the event, we got more than 11,500 from more than 6,000 artists. So wow. it was it was an incredible sort of it was it was electric actually just hmm. having the sense of connection with all these artists around the bay area and 
hearing their voices. You know, voice artists give voice to all sorts of undercurrents and what's going on in society. And, you know, it, it's never been more important than during this crisis. And as you saw in the exhibition, we had everything from very direct political commentary to reflections on the pandemic to, you know, escapist flights of fantasy. So although the show was only open for eight weeks, we were thrilled with its success. And we've decided to make it into a triennial, in fact, yeah. to make this a regular occurrence. Well, and it's great to, to, to sort of deepen those connections with local artists, some of whom I would imagine, you know, maybe don't feel a big connection with a museum as big as the de young uh and the fine arts museums uh, you know you've got this big calder picasso exhibit coming up in february we'll talk about that later but they must be it must be a, a boost i would think for them as well in terms of the visibility uh and the prestige of the work that they do tom are you there yeah i i, I mean i um, yep yeah, i'm here can you hear me yes um some of the artists some of the artists were well established others were less known and you know it was it was it was delightful you know just the 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 delight they took in being in this part of this event and of course you know many of them are economically impacted by the pandemic their galleries are closed they're not in connect they're not being able to make connections with clients so the fact that all the pieces in the exhibition were for sale, uh, we gave the, we had an online catalog and we weren't middlemen in any sense. We gave the information of the contact details for the artists. Yeah. I'm going to hold that thought if you would. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you in mid-thought. We're coming up on a break, which we have to take, but I want to invite our listeners to join us. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. We're going to continue our conversation about museums and the impact of the pandemic. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour, and we're talking with museum directors around the Bay Area about the impact of the pandemic on their institutions. With us, Manetta White, she's executive director of the Museum of the African Diaspora, Lori Fogarty, executive director of the Oakland Museum of California, and Tom Campbell, director and CEO of the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, which oversees the de Young and the Legion of Honor. Uh, and Tom, I'm sorry, I interrupted you just as we were coming up on the break. You were talking about uh, the artists, and the impact. I'm curious, yeah, because those pieces, and there were hundreds of them, uh, over 700, I think, um, and such a wide range uh, of styles and messages and everything. How many of them sold? We well, we we weren't the middlemen in this. We simply provided the contact details for the artists to members of the public through our online catalog. 
So we don't have the specifics, but anecdotally, it does seem that a great many pieces were sold. And when the artists came to collect their works, in many cases, it was new owners who were collecting them. So we feel that that component of the exhibition was very successful and definitely will replicate that in future uh, future uh, efforts. Munera, you, your, your museum, of course, is well known in the city and beyond. And I would think you have a particular connection to the African-American community in California and beyond. And we're in such a moment right now of racial reckoning and civil rights and conversations about police relations with communities. How, how has this moment, even though you are closed uh, to people, to visitors, how, how has that enabled you or maybe forced you to rethink how you reach people in this really incredible moment that we're living through, not just the pandemic, but everything else that's going on? Uh, yes, well, um, for us, um, our online programming has been key. Uh, when we first uh, started, uh, you know, when the pandemic started, we started a program, uh, Community Resilience. And that really gave an opportunity to really discuss the issues um, that were affecting the community. And I think that that's been very helpful. And we continue to have programming around um, uh, discussions like that. Uh, we also, through our programming with our open mic uh, program, has allowed people to come and uh, heal and share, you know, um, their thoughts and expressions uh, during this period. So these are the things that we've been able to do and, uh, and continue to have this platform uh, to reach our community. And, uh, Lori, I'm wondering, you know, some museums, uh, uh, I would imagine, were able to take advantage of some of the government assistance that was uh, made available through uh, loans and that sort of thing in terms of even protective equipment, loans to help keep people employed. To what extent uh, has the Oakland Museum been able to take advantage of that? Yes, uh, you know, we have seen some really terrific programs that are supporting cultural institutions at this time. We were able to secure a PPP loan last April, which we utilized to keep our staff employed for eight weeks. So it was fully forgivable. So we did secure that PPP loan. And through uh, the city of Oakland, through CARES funding that the city secured, they uh, were able to provide grants to cultural institutions, particularly to support those costs around safe reopening. So equipment, uh, you know, signage, uh, sanitation uh, efforts. So we, we have been able to benefit from those programs. And we're currently in the midst, the last CARES uh, Act that came out at the end of December did extend a second round of PPP as well as a program called uh, Sheltered Venues Grant Program, Sheltered Venue Operators Grant Program, which was kind of known more broadly as Save the Stages. Uh, it was really led by the theater community, but museums are eligible for that funding as well. So we're currently looking at, you know, really what would be more advantageous to us in terms of the dollar amount between a second PPP and the Shuttered Venues program. So we've never seen quite this level of support at the federal level uh, to support the cultural institutions. You know, the NEA and the NEH also received infusions last year. So I'm hopeful that it may be a time that even our federal government really understands the importance of the arts and cultural institutions and and starts to put more funding in these on a more permanent basis beyond this immediate crisis. 
That's Lori Fogarty, Executive Director of the Oakland Museum of California. She's with us this hour, along with Tom Campbell, Director of the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, and Minetta White, Executive Director of the Museum of the African Diaspora. And we're talking about how these museums are surviving and adapting during these long, this very long pandemic closure. Perhaps there's some light at the end of the tunnel as these vaccines very slowly begin to make their way to California. But what's something that you look forward to seeing again when the pandemic order is lifted? Have you been to a museum online? Give us a call. Let us know your thoughts uh, at 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. And you can also get in touch, of course, on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or if you prefer, you can send us an email. It's forum at kqed.org. Tom Campbell, I'm wondering if uh, if you were one of the people who signed that letter uh, that I think went out, I'm losing track now, a little bit of the time, but I think it may have been last week, some museum directors and uh, others involved with institutions sent a letter to the governor, as well as legislators did too. Have you heard anything back from the state, from the governor's office, from the health department, um, about you know how they're thinking about your situation? Yes, we were one. Um, I think we're having a bit of a problem with your Wi-Fi connection, Tom. Are you able to hear us? I think we may need to re. Yeah, go go ahead if you can. Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah. Now we can hear you. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, we, yes, we were one of a number of San Francisco museums that wrote to the governor and to Mayor Breed, making the case that we are, you know, we, we can provide safe environments for visitors and requesting that museums should be allowed to open in the purple tier, as is taking place in other cities like New York. Um, we haven't had a formal response from the governor. Uh, I am in close contact, of course, with the mayor's office here in San Francisco. And, you know, the, San Francisco is taking um, a very cautious uh, approach to reopening. Uh, but they are, I think they're very, of course, they're very supportive um, of our hope to get open, to be able to bring our audience back as, as soon as possible. So we're in almost daily contact. And uh, do you, what is your sense of when things may loosen up and open up again? Well, the, the numbers have been falling steeply. And as of just a few days ago, I think we have to be below seven infections per 100,000 to go into the red tier. And just as of a few days ago, the adjusted numbers for San Francisco were somewhere like eight or nine. So we're hoping that we could be back in the red tier as soon as the beginning of early next week. Of course, then it will still depend on state and city uh, permission for the museum to reopen. But we are planning, we're, we're basically getting everything lined up so that we could open at five days notice. And we have this big Calder Picasso exhibition that's being installed right now so our hope is that we will be able to, you know, be open for our visitors by early March. Hmm. And that exhibit was scheduled to open, I think, on the 27th of February, something like that? That's right. Scheduled to open on February the 27th. So our hope is that we will, you know, open as close as possible to that if, if we get the go-ahead from yeah. this. 
And, and Laurie, of course, you know, a lot of exhibits, certainly the, the call or Picasso is maybe an extraordinary example, but, uh, you know, exhibits take a long time to plan and to think about and to, you know, do the catalogs and all the signage and everything else. I mean, how has the pandemic interfered with, you know, that part of what the Oakland Museum does? Yes, uh, the pandemic has wreaked havoc on exhibition schedules across the country and around the world. We're in a bit of a unique circumstance because we organize and curate most of our own exhibitions and, and don't bring in as many traveling exhibitions. I think the, uh, the tours, the exhibition tours that have one venue after the next, it really is such a domino effect and so difficult. And I feel for Tom with uh, the exhibitions that they have and, and loans coming in from around the world for these projects. I will say at this moment, we would have had three exhibitions open over the last three years that are all kind of, you know, uh, you know, on the in the batter circle, ready to, to come up to bat <laughs> as soon as we can as we can open. We would have opened last April an exhibition called Hella Feminist, an, a project um, interdisciplinary art and history project on the generations of feminism, uh, you know, on the 100th anniversary of the uh, women's right to vote, white women's right to vote, that we're eager to open when we're able to. Uh, we would have opened an exhibition on Edith Heath, Edith Heath, A Life in Clay. And the exhibition that we do hope to open with, it would have opened this past December, and we were prepared to open it when we reopened in the fall, uh, that we're now looking to have as our first exhibition when we open is called Mothership Voyage into Afrofuturism. So it's not only been, you know, just kind of juggling and moving the, the chess pieces around to figure out how to accommodate these projects and the loans and the artist commissions, et cetera, but also how to then revise them for this moment. I mean, as you know, we have uh, many of our exhibitions have interactive elements, hands-on elements, uh, you know, touchables. And so all of that is having to be reconsidered and rethought as well as, you know, linking some of the content of the exhibitions themselves to this moment. So yeah, a lot of it is requiring a lot of juggling, a lot of adapt adaptability. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the phones. Again, the number, if you want to join us and uh, talk about, uh, you know, your, your thoughts about museums being closed, what it's meant to you, what you're looking forward to when they finally reopen. 866-733-6786 is the number. 866-733-6786. Or if you prefer, we're on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum. And let's go to Berkeley now. And Polly, you're first. Welcome. Hi, this is Holly Alonzo. Um, I'm the director of Peralta Hacienda Historical Park in the Fruitvale District of Oakland, which has one of the highest incidents of, um, of COVID infection in the state. Um, it's the Latino, known as the Latino District of Oakland, but actually it's very diverse with both African American and Asian as well as Latino residents. And uh, we have, we have Peralta Hacienda Historical House Museum, which won the National Museum Medal uh, two years ago uh, for our commitment to community voices. And we have actually completely repurposed the uh, museum for COVID, uh, far from being closed. We are open all day, every day, offering a learning hub for Oakland's neediest children, those who can't follow online lessons. Uh, and so we, we do it with complete PPPE and, and COVID safety, socially distanced. That's why we need all the museum rooms uh, to be available for the children. Um, and it's been 
actually a very uh, deep and gratifying experience for our education staff. We've hired a lot more education staff to be able to do this. Uh, and the kids are, are thriving because what kid wouldn't like to be in a park, a six-acre park, um, with individual attention all day, every day. So it's been a, a great experience for the kids, for the families, and honestly for our staff. And we're very, very happy to get the opportunity to have the museum be so active in response to this emergency. Hmm. And I'm sure parents are thrilled, too, to have a, an alternative to Zoom learning in, you know, in the living room or the bedroom or the kitchen. Well, especially since uh, some of the kids don't have, don't have that option living rooms or bedrooms or anything, um, and, uh, nor Internet service. And so, yes, the parents are very, very happy, and uh, and, and so are we. Um, and it, it's just a, also a really good example of how community organizations such as museums, which they are really community organizations as well as cultural institutions, can respond uh, wholeheartedly and sensitively to this public emergency. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, that's uh, Maybe you'll inspire perhaps some other smaller museums to try uh, something similar in their area. So thank you so much and good luck with that. And let's hope it all ends soon. But it sounds like you've really made some lemonade out of lemons. Uh, let's go now to another caller if we can. And I think we're going to go to Catherine in Oakland, if I'm correct. Yeah, hi. Um, my name is Catherine. I'm, a, I'm an audio storyteller in Oakland, um, and I was just so thrilled to hear you speaking about this because I just dropped an episode on my show about like the time spent with finished artwork, and I managed to get to the De Young last fall when they were open for a few months. Um, and I had this incredible conversation with a museum guard named Melvin, uh, and I just, um, I just wanted to sort of share that experience about, like, how we're all missing uh, being around art, but also processing art with other people. Um, and I, and being in the De Young when it was open for just those few months, it was, it was so thrilling and so overstimulating um, and, uh, and beautiful and wonderful. And speaking with the museum guards, like they see the art uh, for years and years and years, and, and there's so much knowledge there. And so I'm, I feel like there could be a whole, audio show on just interviewing people who who have spent so much time with the art even though we can't be with it in person yeah no that's a great idea thanks for that and i've seen some things i it's been a while now but i think the new york times did an article with one of the very long time uh sort of security person but who knew an awful lot about uh, the art and often interacted with people who were in the museum so uh i you know laurie do you you do get the feeling in listening to the callers and others uh, reading that, you know, there, th this has been an opportunity, as it has in many spheres of our lives, to kind of re-engage with people uh, and with, um, you know, just aspects of life that we, you know, weren't able to because we were so busy and always running around. Is that, is that, is that also true very for Oakland? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. I, I first want to just, you know, do a shout out to Holly. The Peralta Hacienda House is a treasure in Oakland, always has been incredibly responsive to the community. And I will say I had a chance to visit a few months ago when 
the murals that were painted uh, as part of the protest in the wake of the George Floyd murder and the, you know, the, the racial justice protests that were happening certainly all over the country, very much so in Oakland and, and were uh, part of an effort in the Fruitvale District in, in part led by the Unity Council. And many of those murals were installed in the park at the Peralta Hacienda House. Uh, so people could really have a chance to see those after they came down from the storefronts. And uh, the Oakland Museum of California is also involved with what we call the art for the movement, uh, which is uh, artists demonstrating and showing, uh, you know, protesting through these incredible murals that are all around our community. And I do think that people are more and more seeing this connection between creativity and culture and the moment that we're in and whether it's you know small ways that people are reinvigorating their own creativity with you know baking bread or making quilts or actually taking it to the streets uh, which we're seeing in a really profound way as as well do you think so, that yes, there will be some things i think it's things, a moment yeah do yeah. you think there but are there some things and, and we're coming up to a break but are, do you think there are some things Lori, that you will continue things that were adaptive during the pandemic but which you thought huh this is a great idea let's continue doing it Absolutely. I think we're I think we're never going back to exactly the way it was before, whether, as Manetta said, it's the kind of new interactive uh, online digital programming that we're doing, or as Tom said, the the artist project and now making that a, a triennial project or just new kinds of partnerships we're having with our communities uh, and, and thinking of the role art can play around healing and around social justice and around you know bringing our community together in new ways. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue with your calls and comments. Give us a ring if you'd like to talk with one of these museum directors, uh, or let us know what you miss most as these museums have been closed, or what you've noticed now that they're online that you maybe hadn't taken advantage of before. Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or you can always get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. We will continue our conversation in just a couple minutes. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour. We're talking about the impact the pandemic is having on museums. With us, Tom Campbell, Director and CEO of the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco. They oversee the DeYoung and the Legion of Honor. Also, Lori Fogarty, Executive Director of the Oakland Museum of California. And Minetta White, Executive Director of the Museum of the African Diaspora, or MOAD. Give us a call at 866-733-6786 if you'd like to talk with one of them or uh, ask a question. You can also also email your comments to us. It's forum at kqed.org. And let's go to the phones now. And Carolyn or Caroline, you're next. Good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning, all. Uh, and congratulations to all of you for fighting the fight for the arts. I'm, I'm a native San Franciscan artist, art educator. And my comment is that um, the roadways need to be opened for the public to attend the museums. Unfortunately, due to the COVID, a lot of the streets have been closed, the highway 
the great highway has been closed. And I raised the comment actually um, with the mayor uh, when she was being interviewed. And apparently she said her comment response uh, regarding um, this side of the city was that she wasn't familiar with it. And I thought that's interesting because she came to the Irish Cultural Center to have a debate when she was running for mayor. Um, And Ironically, too, the Martin Luther King Drive was closed during the celebration for Martin Luther King Day. The bottleneck into the park, the whole of the Cliff House area and Sutro and getting up to the Fine Arts Museum is just a bottleneck Hmm. um, of closure. So that's my comment. And and I think it really has to go hand in hand with opening the museums, Open, open the highways and the roadways so that the public can get there safely. Thank you for that. I'm going to push back, and I know a lot of bicyclists will. I ride my bike uh, at least two or three times a week right past the De Young on that closed road. And, boy, there's a lot of families out there with kids and bicycles and skateboarders and roller skaters, so I, I can understand why it might be frustrating not to be able to drive to the museum. But it certainly is a great option for a lot of folks who feel pent up. But, Tom Campbell, uh, what impact is that having, if any? Well, of course, the De Young's not open now, so it really made it's not so relevant. But, you know, what are your thoughts? Because that issue of whether or not that road should be closed permanently or just on weekends to traffic uh, has been a big one. Yes, it's a big issue for us. Um, JFK is, you know, it's a it's, it's a big road in both directions. So it, while it's lovely during the kind of the safe streets period during the pandemic, that it has it's you know made available for joggers and strollers and bicyclists. It is a problem. The, the, the closure is a problem for those who are driving from further out in the Bay Area and can't use um, city transportation. So, you know, we're in discussion with the Rec and Parks Division who are and, and the MTA. It is our hope that we will, will be able to get it reopened or opened in part. Um, but of course, you know, we're, we're conscious that there, there are multiple constituencies involved here. You know, for us, it is an issue about getting access to the museum and especially for people with disabilities who, um, you know, obviously need parking very close to the museum. Yeah. Let's read some listener comments here. Susie tweets, what kind of efforts have you made to pivot to art in public space and support artists directly? I know Yerba Buena Center for the Arts has used their space to create safe space for students and safe outdoor exhibits uh, in their windows and in the neighborhoods. Um, any thoughts about that? I, know, I don't know if all of you, I mean, Minetta, you're right downtown. I don't think you have a lot of outdoor space. Tom Campbell, you do, you do have some there in the back of the museum. But Lori, what about you over in Oakland? Well, interestingly, uh, this moment does coincide with a major construction project that we've had going on for the last few months, which is a a renovation and reimagining of our seven acre campus and our gardens, working with the architect, landscape architect, Walter Hood and Mark Cavaniero and Associates. So one thing we are excited about is when we are able to reopen that whole space uh, will be transformed. And so that will be free to the to the public. The garden spaces will be available. We've opened a new entry on 12th Street, right across the street from Lake Merritt, which really functions as Oakland's city park. So we'll be able to welcome people into the garden space and our reinstalled sculpture. So that is one feature that we're excited about. And, you know, YBCA is doing some really interesting work uh, with outdoor uh, spaces, with community spaces, with artists. As 
as I mentioned, a lot of our work in that realm has been with uh, the Art for the Movement effort in preserving the murals uh, that have been in Oakland. And, you know, I would say one thing that is, you know, a fascinating aspect of what we're doing right now is actually thinking about how we collect in this moment. What are the artifacts and artworks and stories that we can bring into our collection that will tell the story of this, you know, multiple layers of pandemic and economic fallout and national political context and racial mm. reckoning and mm. and actually thinking in new ways about how we acquire these and, and compensate not only artists for, for bringing work into the collection, but some of these artifacts are, you know, face masks. We, we have a face mask <laughs> from the 1918 uh, influenza in our collection. And, and so not only acquiring the artifact, but the story of that and compensating community members who may help us document this moment by contributing artifacts to the collection. Yeah. So we call that collecting in the moment. Yeah. Manette, I wonder, you know, I'm thinking back to the AIDS epidemic, you know, that, that uh, as horrible as those years were, they did spur a lot of creativity, uh, especially in theater, I think, and music. Uh, Angels in America comes to mind, the normal heart, you know, really uh, taking the moment, uh, as we were talking about earlier with social justice. I'm wondering if you, if you think that, you know, as Laurie suggested, there might be some fodder here for uh, future exhibits based on what we've all lived through. Oh, I certainly think uh, we'll see a lot of uh, exhibitions around um, uh, this environment that we're in. Um, and we hope, we hope that, um, you know, we have a program with our emerging artists um, uh, program at MOAD where we really work with a lot of our local uh, artists. And I'm hoping to see and that, you know, something will come about uh, from this uh, this period. So I'll mention just, uh, Scott, that we're yeah, looking we're at an right. exhibition called, uh, called Starting Over, which we're hoping to uh, install all actually all drawn from our collection about how artists have been really influential in helping societies think about rebuilding and starting over, whether it's, you know, the Arthur and Lucia Matthews, great artists who San Francisco based artists in the arts and crafts movement. Actually, the DeYoung has a great collection of Matthews, as do uh, as do we, who were very influential in thinking about rebuilding San Francisco after the 1906 earthquake. So just as an example of how we can turn to artists who to help reimagine this moment and help us rebuild as communities. All right, let's go back to the phones. And Amanda, you're next. Hi, thank you for taking my call today. Sure. Um, I've been a museum um, member for a number of years for a handful of museums in the Bay Area and was fortunate enough to be able to visit the de Young last October. I was delighted with viewing the permanent collection, and it was not crowded at all. However, the special exhibit was a bit packed, and unfortunately, I bumped into a few other patrons while trying to read the info cards mm. next to each piece in the Frida Collar exhibit. And when the museums do reopen, I would love to be able to view that info card information on my phone in some way so I can try to keep my distance hmm. from other patrons. Yeah, there. good good point. Tom, any thoughts about that? How are you thinking about the Picasso Calder in that regard? Sure. Well, the, the uh, Amanda, thank you for your comment. Um, the Calder Picasso exhibition is in our big exhibition space, the Herbst Galleries. And so we are very consciously designing it um, for reduced number of people and allowing maximal uh, physical distancing. The, the challenge with the Frida Kahlo show was that was designed, obviously, before COVID, 
in one of our smaller exhibition spaces. And when we opened in September, obviously with reduced capacity, we, we were having ticketed, number, num, uh, ticketed timed tickets. And what we found was, in fact, people were taking much longer to go through than we had anticipated. So over the course of the, those weeks of opening, we actually greatly reduced the number of people going through that show, trying to find the sweet spot between you know, people's you know, absolute curiosity, wanting to read every label, and also trying to create an, a, a safe environment. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm imagining too that uh, you'll see some communities that are more vulnerable to the, you know, to uh, to the the coronavirus. Uh, seniors, I'm thinking of uh, people with underlying conditions. I mean, they're going to be maybe the the last to come back. And often, seniors are, you know, some of the mainstays of visitors to museums. Uh, how have you been thinking about that, if at all, Lori? Or is that Very less true in Oakland? Well, we have a we do have a very diverse audience, and actually, you know, the last year, full year before we were opened, about sixty two percent of our audience was actually under fifty. So, and not including our school groups. So, we have a large family audience, um, but we do have you know older uh, members of our community who are regular attenders and volunteers as well. A lot of our docents. Uh, fit that kind of profile. So we definitely have to think about how to safely uh, bring folks back, both volunteers and staff and visitors, and very conscious of the different you know, special needs in, in different communities that we'll have to address. Here's a comment from Tim who writes, I especially miss the many cultural events at the Oakland Museum, of which I'm a member. Celebrations like the Lunar New Year, Cinco de Mayo, the Day of the Dead, Juneteenth, and other holidays. Plus, the events held on Friday evenings during the summer with music, refreshments, food trucks. Oakland Museum is an indispensable community resource. Music to your ears, Lori, right? Yes. I don't think we're related, but I really appreciate that comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we are, you know, that's, that's the biggest part that we're missing is those community gatherings. We did do an online version of Dia de los Muertos, which you can access on our website, we are doing Lunar New Year celebrations, both for, for schools and for the community this month that are featured on our website. And uh, we're, we're not actually calling them Black History Month programming. We're calling them Black History programming because we are doing this programming year round. So we're trying to do our best to fill that gap a little bit um, through online programming, but it's sure not the same. And I mourn Friday nights with you. Uh, mm. I can't wait till we can be able to bring people back safely and create that, you know, that incredible block party that we love so much. Yeah, you cannot replace that online for sure. All right, let's go back to the phones again. I'll give out the number. It's 866-733-6786. Also, you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or if you prefer, you can email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Let's go to Jeff up in Santa Rosa. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for this program. Uh, my name is Jeff Nathanson. I'm the director of the Museum of Sonoma County in Santa Rosa. Uh, hello to my colleagues. It's so nice to hear you on the radio. Um, anyway, I wanted to um, uh, just mention this morning that we are inspired by what other museums are doing, including the three uh, featured on this program. Our museum in downtown Santa Rosa has uh, completed completely gone to virtual exhibitions and uh, interactive and online uh, programs. Uh, They've been well attended, but we really missed having the public be able to come 
to our galleries. So uh, in the fall, we used our sculpture garden as the site for an in-person Day of the Dead uh, uh, exhibition, and uh, we had really good attendance, but we were also uh, we, we were safe. We, we limited the number of people at any given time. Um, and I just want to um, mention that uh, we are, just like the other museums, looking forward to welcoming the public back. And I just want to thank uh, Lori in particular for her leadership at, at a state level. Um, we, we also signed that letter to the governor. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I imagine for, uh, you know, smaller museums like yours, Jeff, that uh, there must have been a moment, some point, maybe for all of you, where you thought, I don't, can we survive this? You know, especially when we didn't really know how or when it would end. I mean, did you, did you and your board of directors have to go through those conversations? Nope. I think we lost Jeff. Um, Um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, yes, I'm here. Um, Yes, uh, it was, uh, it's, been a very difficult year to be sure. The uh, our museum is a Smithsonian affiliate. Luckily, um, I have this connection with other uh, Smithsonian directors, uh, so we've been able to compare notes. And uh, we we were fortunate to get PPP funds. Um, we applied for a lot of grants, but most importantly, um, our local membership and the uh, donors who support us have. Um, They've they've been loyal and they've they've stuck with us. So uh, we've been able to survive, um, but it's difficult. It, it it definitely is. Yeah. Well, hang in there, Jeff. Thanks so much for calling, and good luck to uh, to you and your institution, the museum. We hope we all hope this will be over sooner rather than later. Thanks so much. Uh, let's uh, read some listener comments here. Nina writes, uh, one way that museums are adapting is by opening up educational lectures to a virtual audience, such as California Academy of Sciences, Nightlife Lecture Series, I Have a Disability, she writes, and virtual events make museums more accessible to new audiences. Can the panelists speak to the durability of virtual lectures in the future? Mineta, what about uh, you, you at MOED? Uh, yes, um, I certainly... Uh, believe that we will stay in this virtual space uh, for our program. So, um, you know, we're looking at that as we reopen, you know, how we continue to have this virtual digital space uh, for our visitors. So um, as Lori mentioned, as we talked, I mean, things are not going to go back to the way they were. Um, I think museums are going to be looking at everything very differently. All right. Let's see if we can squeeze in another caller. Gary in San Francisco, you're next. Hi, yeah, thanks. Thanks for for taking my call and I appreciate this this uh needed conversation. Um I just had one quick comment and then a, a quote that I thought was kind of fun and applicable. Um the the one comment is I appreciate uh the the ingenuity everybody's uh showing to, to try to bring art and uh, the arts to people in these trying times when you can't go in person to see these things. But I, I also hope that we can think beyond uh, this time when I think it's going to be an imperative to get people off of screens and get off of the technology. So as much as I appreciate everybody um, embracing this and using the technology, I also think for society, you know, I, I think a long-term effect of this pandemic is going to be our relationship with technology and maybe trying to to disconnect that relationship in some ways, because I think it's going to be incredibly unhealthy. It already is unhealthy, and especially for kids and things. Uh, and then the quote that I heard that 
that I heard it kind of the beginning of the pandemic, and boy, it's just it just continues to resonate with me. Was uh, you know, science is going to get out of this mess, but art is going to get us through it. And yes. for me, that that couldn't apply anymore. I've been just listening to so much music and reading books and things. And, exactly. And, uh, and, yeah, and I'm sure Gary, a lot of people agree with you that uh, although Zoom, like you say, Zoom and technology has helped us get through it, I think a lot of people will be very eager to get out of the house, get back to the museums get outside and, and see their friends and their family. So uh, thanks for that uplifting note to conclude on. Thanks so much for that. And to all of our guests this hour, Tom Campbell, Director and CEO of the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, Lori Fogarty from the Oakland Museum of California, Minetta White, Executive Director of the Museum of the African Diaspora. Thank you all so much and good luck. And uh, let's hope that the coming weeks are really good ones and certainly months once we get through the worst of this. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. You bet. Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Lauerberg, Ariana Prale, Blanca Torres, Mandy Wen, Susan Britton, and Grace Wan. Our senior editor is Dan Zoll. Our engineers, Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Leslie Torres, Kimia Akbari, and our executive director is Ethan Toven Lindsay, Chief Content Officer Holly Kernan. I'm Scott Schaefer here today and back next week. And stay with us for the next hour of Forum with Mina Kim. Thanks so much. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.